My name is Donna. I'm an alcoholic addict. Hi, Donna. Hi, Donna. God, it's been a good 18 years since I spoke. <laughs> Dang. You know, um, a lot of people like to go into a lot of drunk log, and, and I like to talk about what it was like for me when I was growing up, because that led to my, my drinking. Um, I was raised uh, in a uh, Catholic drunk family. There were seven of us. I happen to be the third to the oldest. I have a sister that's eight years older than me who... By the time I became 10 years old, she got married and moved on, so my job was to take care of the family. Um, but when I was five years old, um, we all got removed from the home and placed in foster care in Juvie Hall um, by lies of my sister, you know. And when we were in uh, Juvie Hall, they used to tell us all the time, well, just tell us that your mom hit you and we'll let you go home. And I, I remember at that young being so angry because it was a lie. It literally was a lie. And how can I tell you that? And I used to think it was my fault that we didn't get to go home sooner because I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't lie. And um, I uh, was placed with one of my sisters. Thank God I got to stay with one of them. But um, I remember going to, um, to school, and the kids would all tease us because we were in foster care. And I remember saying, someone telling me, that if my mother loved me, then we wouldn't have been in foster care. So then, when you're real young, you begin to wonder, you know, did your mom really love you? You know, I remember where my insecurities began and my fears. And uh, I remember living for the day to go home, you know, and to be with our family. And it was, uh, we were away from home for about a year and a half. And up until we were taken away, I don't remember anything except my, my mother and father every so often fighting. And I remember we all used to just get like this, but it wasn't uh, a lot of their fights when he was drunk and stuff was um, behind closed doors. You know, I didn't want to let the kids see it. But when we all um, came home, my, um, that's when I really saw the episodes of my father's drinking and his drunkenness and his violence. Um, <clears throat> like I said, then my sister got married and moved on. Then it was my job to take care of my brothers and sisters. And I have a little brother who's mentally retarded. And uh, I had a sister who died when she was three years old. Um, and so my job was to, you know, just take care of everything. And through the years, I was also the placator. You know, anytime everybody else had their big fights, I was the one that stepped in the middle and smoothed it over. But I remember the, um, the horrible feeling that I had. And I carried that into school because I wanted everybody to like me, you know. And... Um, so I'd do everything and anything that anybody told me to do. And nobody ever understood because I, they always thought I was a happy child. You know, I guess I was a good drama queen <laughs> because uh, I covered a lot of pain, you know. Um, I was one that in, in, in years past when I've shared in meetings and it just opened up a whole new book when I heard the, the speaker last month share, you know. Uh, I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. I was emotionally abused. You know, and it was uh, hell, and um, that is my story. That That is a lot of my story. And I heard someone say, you know, I was born into an alcoholic family, you know, so that means I'm one. No. But everything else that I went through led to my drinking. When I found out what the alcohol would do for me, you know, it, it was just an easier way to, you know, cover everything up. But um, I spent many, many, many... Um, uh, days, I, I, I played a lot of sports, and that's how I got my anger and my frustration out. When I was uh, 15 years old and my mother, I finally told my mother what had happened, her fear for my father, there wasn't anything we could do. Because back in the day, you don't 
There's nothing you could do. I watched my mom be thrown downstairs um, right through a window, and we called the police. And back in the day, it was always it's a dom domestic quabble. You know, we're not going to do anything about it. You know, that's the way it was. They didn't, they didn't arrest everybody then, you know, uh, until O.J. Simpson, huh? <laughs> but, um, you know, and I remember the horrible feeling, and I used to think all the time everybody knew what was going on in my house. You know, and uh, uh, there was times where my father didn't drink as much, and but we always knew my mother would all be home from school and we'd be playing, and all of a sudden my mother would get in this one mood and would all panic and would all just scatter to our rooms in the silence and the fear. Um, I had, uh, I'm not proud of it, but I had many, many fist fights with my father, stopping him from going after one of my brothers or sisters. Um, and we'd call the cops, and the cops wouldn't do anything. And it was like, what, what, what? I even called the police. You know, um, I remember the only time I ever walked away from my family when, um, when my dad was drunk is I was playing softball um, in high school, and we were playing for um, the CIF championship. We were getting ready to go for that. And I had to be at this game. And my mom kept telling me to go. But I remember... Um, Every car that went by, I thought, oh, my God, it's my family. You know, they're running from my, my dad because that's what we used to do. We used to, my mom used to load us up in the car, and we'd all have to push because it was a stick, you know, try to get it going. <laughs> and she couldn't keep it going, so we ended up walking back to the house all the time. But, um, and I remember um, someone sliding in from third base to home and kicked me right in the stomach. You know, I ended up with a hernia and everything, you know. But it was, that's how distracting it was. It was always on my mind. Um, when I was in junior high, I, I believe that uh, everybody one, at one time or another in their life experiments with alcohol. And, you know, I was in junior high and we experimented and I thought it was cool and I didn't really like it. But uh, I remember what it did to me. You know, um, when I was going home then, and I used to drink with my friends, I didn't have to worry about the fear. It was like I, I didn't have the fear. You know, I didn't care if they caught me, but I didn't have the fear of going in my house and facing my father or my mother or worrying about whether they're fighting or whatever. But um, I got smart, though. I started staying at friends' house. <laughs> I didn't want to go home drinking like that. But, um, you know, that, that followed all the way through to, to um, high school. I, I started um, smoking pot and, uh, and doing some drinking then. And uh, I'll never forget the year that I um, graduated from high school. I went to Mexico, and my family was devastated because they no longer were going to have their protector, you know. And I had the same feelings living down there as I did when I was growing up because who's going to take care of my family? You know, who's going to watch out for them when my dad got drunk, you know, and, and whatever. But it, it all worked out good, and when I came back uh, from Mexico, I lived down there for a year. I was a teacher. So um, when I came back... I got an apartment, but I took two of my younger sisters with me, you know, because I didn't want them in the house. <laughs> and you want to talk about the party time then. <laughs> but, uh, and every time I seemed to do the geographicals, everybody always thought that they corrupted me from the different geographicals, you know. But uh, then I got into, um, I did a lot of speed. I did a lot of um, um, prescription drugs from, uh, b back in the day, uh, doctors were free about giving out Valiums for your uh, aches and pains, you know, and you know, I had surgeries and I had different things and I knew how to get it and um, I got into a, a lot of prescription drugs and then uh, I started hanging with the wrong people and when I look back now I know it was a suicide mission you know because I uh, 
There was very few drugs known to mankind that I did not do. You know, and a lot of people take offense when I talk about that, but that is my story. You know, um, the alcohol still wasn't legal for me because I got clean and sober when I was 22. But uh, up until then, I still had, you know, all the, the drinking. And I think um, I started hanging with, um, um, I should say, gangbangers back in the day. And uh, because I, I felt safe, you know, no one was going to mess with me. But um, I was doing, I mean, if I ever thought I did crazy stuff before, I really got into the sniffing the paint and everything. And, and I'd have my own apartment and I'd have these people over. And the next minute, you know, I, I see somebody throwing somebody through a window and somebody's got a baseball bat and they're chasing somebody. And I'm sitting there going, wow. You know, and here I was on the same thing that they were on, but it didn't affect me like that. But um, I remember going to drive a friend to his ex-girlfriend's house and... Um, because he wanted, she, she owed him money or something else. And I remember pulling up, and he says, just don't, look, don't turn the car off. Keep it running. And the next minute you know, I hear these gunshots. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, he killed somebody. And he comes flying out, jumps in my car, and he says, take off. Well, I remember going home, and he took my keys and buried them in his backyard. So that way, if anybody followed us, and I didn't have my keys. Well, he was so out of it that it took six days to find my keys, you know, so <laughs> I had to find rides everywhere. But I had the cops show up at my door, and I says, you know, I've been asleep. I says, uh, my car's been here. And he says, no, your car's hot. You know, and he feel the hood. And I said, well, then someone took it. And he said, where's your keys? The only thing that saved me is I didn't have my keys. I didn't know where my keys were, you know. So, um, I, you know, the, as time went on, I just started hanging with people like that. I hung with a... Uh, a girl that would go into a bar, she was my size, would go into a bar, when I did turn 21, would go into a bar, and uh, um, the only way, if we didn't have money, what we'd do is we'd split up and say, oh, well, we'll play pool with somebody or darts, you'd be on one team, I'll be on the other, so we never did without the alcohol. But she was some, sorry, crazy broad, that she would go up the side of some of these big guys playing pool with pool kills. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to be dead before we get out of here, you know. Um, we'd be driving down the road, and I'd be steering, and she'd be pushing on the, the brake. And <laughs> you know, I mean, I did some crazy stuff. I, I ran a few cars off the road. Um, you know, I, I just, I was in uh, Santa Ana, and I was actually told um, Santa Ana, and there was another city out there by Orange County that I was told, punk, don't come back. I was stopped by the cops, you know. Um, I don't know what my point was when I was doing all this. Like I said, when I looked back, I think it was a suicide mission, you know, uh, through all my drinking and drugging. But in my last year and a half, I never drew a sober breath. There wasn't a sober breath. And um, I took the signs in the bars, literally. The only way to prevent a hangover is to stay drunk. You know, um, I got into a lot of coke and uh, a lot of other speed and everything else. And um, I was just... I don't know how I survived, you know, and I got, the amazing part of it was, is I was a very high-functioning alcoholic, and I could get the great reviews, you know, at work and stuff, and, and people would say, how can you do that? And I don't know how I did it, but I knew exactly what to take throughout the whole day and drink and whatever, and to stay on an even keel, you know, and um, I was on a, um, like I said, a suicide mission, and when my, one of my last drunks, it wasn't my last one, but it was one of my last ones, when we were in Santa Ana and someone pulled a gun on my friend and I jumped up and said, you're going to shoot anybody, it's going to have to be me. 
and you want to talk about, I never, never knew you could sober up that fast. <laughs> it's like, what the hell am I doing? You know, and I remember driving home on the freeway, and I had five people in the back of my pickup, but I was in the fast lane on the freeway with my door open hanging out, and this was 3.30 in the morning. It's like, God dang, you know, and I, I look back, and it's like, how did I ever survive that? But uh, my mom, I, I had decided, um, I gave up my apartment. Um, I didn't lose it. I just chose, I've got to change. I've got to do whatever. So the stupidest thing was move back with your family who, you know, all that from growing up, it just triggered everything, you know. But um, my mom had walked into the, the room I made, and, and she's beating on my door, and she says, where the hell were you? And I says, I don't know. And I said, um, she says, well, who are you with? And I said, I don't know. But I remember all the years of growing up with my father as a drunk and my mom crying and how hurt she always was. And she looked at me and the tears just rolled down her face and she said, you're a fucking alcoholic just like your father. And I think that is a thing that really, if anything in my life ever affected me, that was the one thing when it came to that, is how deep I really hurt my mom. And I was the, the one that set out not to be like my father. There was no way I was going to turn out to be a drunk and whatever. And um, I think it was the next day I called AA, and they had told me to, um, the next meeting in my, my area was on a Tuesday. And so they just gave me permission Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday to go go have my fun, <laughs> you know. And um, so then I find out later that the person that answered the phone was a little on the inexperienced side because there was three meetings a day in my area. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in an area like Tonopah. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, I ended up, I, I showed up at my first meeting, but I thought I was smart. I didn't go by myself. I took a friend, you know, and when I walked up to it, it was an actual closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when the lady met me at the door. She says, are you looking for the AA meeting? I said, it's not for me, it's for her. And my friend, I thought, was going to knock me on the ground, you know. I was like, what are you doing? Um, I sat at the back of the room for the first three months, right by the door. I thought, my, my first meeting, I thought everybody in AA was just crazy because they were celebrating birthdays. And everybody celebrating birthdays sat up at the front of the table, and they all sang happy birthday. And I thought, God, you guys are childish. You know, and, and needless to say, there wasn't anybody my age. I was only 22. It was like, God, you guys are old, man, and there's very few women. <laughs> you know, um, so I sat, and, and the, the thing that stuck with me is they talked about God and being raised Catholic and, and, and God allowing the things to happen to me as he did. I, I just, I had no faith and I had no trust, no nothing. And then um, being a female, being my, my age, and I really thought that they were going to teach me how to drink like a lady. You know, I really did, and people say, it doesn't matter, it's what got me here, but I really thought that I was going to learn how to drink properly, you know, but um, I saw a lot of people come in and go with um, the court cards, and um, they were, some of them were my age, and I used to take off with them, and I'd give them a ride home, and, you know, nobody had seen me for a few days, you know, but, uh, and I had to learn, you know, it was really hard showing up at a drug dealer's house, and I didn't know where I was going, I was giving somebody a ride and almost being killed outside of a, a drug dealer's house um, because I happened to still be with people who were still using. Uh, the hardest thing for me to do was to give up my friends when I first got clean and sober. I thought my life was going to be over, you know. Well, what do you mean i got to find new friends? You know, and especially where I told you that a lot of them were a lot older than me when I came in. I was like, God dang. 
but um, after three months of, of screwing around like that, I, I started to get serious, and uh, it took me until July, you know, to um, just not drink, you know, Fourth uh, of July, 1982, and uh, I had somebody the other day, uh, a few weeks ago, tell me, um, I'll, I'll come to the meeting if you uh, get honest. When was the last time you drank? And I don't know whether he's referring to one of the stories I told him one time. But alcohol has not touched my lips, nor drugs. Um, I've suffered through the years with um, um, a lot of things that have happened physically to me with my knee, my back, and, and my COPD and emphysema and everything, where I still have this thing where I was a drug addict on prescription drugs that they could give me Tylenol, they could sit in my closet for six, six years, you know, and just don't touch it, you know, and it's just it's just crazy but um my first three years of um aa was probably the hardest um i used to think when is it ever going to get easier and someone says you know can't promise you anything the only thing we can promise you is it will get better and i'm thinking better than what you know um i had a hard time where everybody wanted to sponsor me you know um because i was the young one and you know uh, i was I hate to say I'm more boisterous now, but I never spoke. I didn't do nothing. I was afraid to speak up. And uh, they used to tell me, if you go out and drink, I'll never talk to you again. Okay, so I really want you to like me, so I'm going to stay clean and sober. You know, so I, I did a lot of that for the first year, you know. And then they told me when I took my first year cake that um, my first year is given to me. Now i got to work for it. It's like, what do you mean? I worked for my first year, you know. But I still hung around with... Um, people who wanted to either fix me or um, I got used and abused a lot, you know, and I allowed it because that's the way my life was, you know. I, I always seemed to gravitate towards people like that. Um, at uh, three years sobriety, um, I finally decided that uh, I had one sponsor in the beginning and she passed away. The second one she chose herself and um, she told me nothing good was to ever come on the four step. Nothing good was to ever come of it. So I thought everything in my four-step was my fault. So who wants to share it with anybody, you know? But um, <laughs> so I had a real hard time with that. But I finally found somebody that I started talking to, and I could really relate. And she used to tell me, I used to say, you know, what, what would you do? And she said, I, I can't tell you what to do. I can't even suggest. I'm not your sponsor. And I was afraid that the other person would be mad at me, so I wouldn't, didn't want to tell her I don't want you to be my sponsor anymore. And... But then I really wanted the direction of this other woman and the type of people she hung around with, the winners, you know. And um, this lady over here, I had uh, surgery. I had an ovarian tube removed and stuff, and they actually took my pain pills, wouldn't give me any of them, none of them whatsoever. Um, she told me they actually hid three of them and said that I was downing them, and it's like, I ain't stupid. I'd have been out of it. But um, it was, uh, there's, there's just as many sick people in the program as there are on the outside, you know. Uh, I found out the hard way, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not downing other people. This is just my experience. Um, I had a woman tell me one time that, um, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. She turned around and said, um, honey, if you, if I was your sponsor, you wouldn't be suicidal. And another lady behind me was standing there saying, no, honey, if she was your, sp your sponsor, you'd be dead. You know, and I had people doing stuff like that all the time over. He's like, dang. But I finally got enough nerve to let this one go. And six weeks after I let go of her, I had found that she'd been using. You know, and it was like, okay, so I made the right choice, but I was angry.
I remember going to um, the store, and if you're involved in church and different things, you're always wondering, where do I know this person from? You know, you're not going to walk up and say, hey, do I know you from AA? Are you a friend of Bill W.'s or what? So this guy kept going around circles, going around circles, and going around me, and it's like, what are you doing? And then I find out he's going to buy his um, Thunderbird, you know, his alcohol. And he says, fuck it, I'm just going to buy it anyway. But then the following week, he showed up at the meeting, and he took a cake. And here I get this new sponsor, and I tell her, I'm leaving. I'm not staying in this meeting. I says, because it's not right. You know, and I really started thinking, does everybody in AA do that? Do they go home and lie and just go to meetings and pretend like everything's okay? But um, I was devastated, and I guess because I refused to stay in there, um, my sponsor told me, do not leave. So I just stayed outside, and she came and got me because he had an announcement, and he finally admitted, and he had 18 years of writing. And he admitted in front of everybody that he had used. But, um, you know, I, I, and at three years, um, when I did do my, my four-step, because of what I was told about nothing good was to come of it, when I did my, my four-step, um, my fifth step with my sponsor, I left out six pages. And a lot of it had to do with my abuse. And um, because I didn't want to be judged, um, I lived all those years with the shame and the guilt, you know, that, that got me to drink in any way. But um, at the same time, um, on the way home, and I was waiting for this miracle. You know how everybody always says, you just feel like everything's just gone, it's big burdens released. Like, why isn't this happening? So here I am on my way to work because I worked a midnight shift. And I'm on the freeway, and I almost ran some guy down on the side of the road that was fixing a tire. My mind said, okay, I'm no longer suicidal. I'll just kill the bastard, you know. And um, I had never in my life ever felt that way about hurting another individual. So I drove myself to the hospital in um, San Bernardino, California. And uh, I was there for 45 minutes, and they locked me up. I'm like, what are you doing? I just want to talk to somebody. No, we're going to keep you here. He's like, what? <laughs> and let me tell you, that episode showed me how insane and crazy I was not. You know, being in there, um, I did do some crazy stuff because they took my coffee and my breakfast away from me. Because I refused to eat my breakfast, they took my coffee and then just took the whole tray. And um, so I flipped chairs and everything. You know, they were going to keep me on a 72-hour hold, but my therapist had gotten me out. You know, but... Um, um, that was, I, I, I can't say that was the end of my suicidal ideation in sobriety, but my life changed, you know. Um, being raised Catholic and always being made to pray, that was the first time in my life I had ever actually pl- prayed, God, please get me out of here, I am not crazy, you know. And um, I made a vow that when I got out that... Everything I needed to do and the honesty I was going to share with my sponsor, regardless. You know, and I'm sharing these things with her. And she says, I knew. I knew. I was like, oh, God, you made me say it out loud? <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, things did get better. Things got a lot better. Um, I began to be able to uh, speak up for myself. Um, I no longer, um, my sponsor used to tell me all the time, do you like everybody? And I said, No. She said, well, who died and left you in charge that everybody's got to like you? And I was like, God, why'd you have to tell me that? Because now I can't be mad thinking that they don't like me. You know? Oh, my God. I was devastated over some of the stuff she told me. I was like, oh, my God. But um, it, took, it, it took that long, you know? And uh, a lot of people don't like sharing stuff like that, but I like it because that's who I am today. You know, um, 
being uh, raised Catholic and, and God was going to get you, he was going to come down and zap you down and whatever, um, I learned, uh, I, I like to go to church today, but it's not all about the religion, it's about the spirituality. You know, I have a different level of understanding of who my power greater than myself is. When I first, my first three years, my wall, the wall was my God. And I had people tell me, you can't do that. What are you going to do if it crumbles? I'll find another one. You know, I used to talk to them all, all the time. You know, when I was angry and hurt, whatever, and do my poor me's and sit and cry. I talked to the walls all the time. I always seemed to get answers. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Um, oh, shoot. I thought it was almost over. <laughs> um, then, uh, I lost my train of thought because I had to look at that clock, huh? <laughs> Dang. Uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of uh, geographicals even in um, sobriety. You know, um, the one thing that uh, I learned was my sponsor used to tell me all the time to stick with the winners. And I used to try hanging out with different crowds and then I'll always end up back with the people that I first got clean and sober with. You know, the, the crazy people, the older people I told you about. You should have seen us at Christmas times. I mean, oh, my God, we'd be pushing one another in shopping carts with um, hats on, singing through the stores and stuff. And here I am with women in their 40s and 50s. And I'm in my 20s like, God, these guys are crazy. You know, but I had so much fun. But, um, you know, and, and I always had a, a problem through the years of uh, people asking me my opinion. You know, and I said, well, you know, if I was in your position, this is what I would do for me. And I can't tell you what to do. And, ah, oh, what do you know? You're just a kid anyway. Uh, okay, well, don't ask then. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, and, and that was because I hung with the wrong people. You know, I remember uh, going to, I used to go to 30 meetings in 90 days. You know, and I used to work three jobs. And uh, I still had time. My sponsor told me to do it, and I did it. You know, um. A lot of times I wasn't there emotionally, but I was there. They used to tell me to fake it till I made it, you know. And um, I know for sure today that I didn't make it by not faking it because you just don't stick around for 31 years for nothing, you know. But uh, my – and I have the people ask me all the time now is um, if you don't have the problems you had then, why can't you go out and drink? And I said, because I have a living problem. I can't. I know exactly what it will do. It'll take me right back, you know. And uh, I tell people all the time, I could probably go have a beer. I could probably go have a, a drink here and there and wherever. Who am I going to prove it to? Because I already know where I'm going to be, what the end result's going to be. But this time, you know, I have another drunk, but I don't think I have another recovery, you know. And um, I did the ge geographicals, moved out to um, uh, up north in, in California. Um, I've been married twice in the program to both people in the program, uh, so for me, it don't work, <laughs> marrying people in the program. <laughs> but uh, I went from my first husband, he was physically abusive, to my second husband, who was emotionally abusive, a Marine. And uh, I, I was no saint, you know, in, in the marriages. You know, I did my part and everything else. But um, today, I like who I am, you know, and I don't have to have that to feel fulfilled. But... Um, I think it was, uh, I think I had about 18 years sobriety, and uh, I ended up going to school to be a counselor. Um, I was a counselor for 10 years, uh, actually 12 years. Two of those years I was a, um, just below the CEO in the company. And uh, I can see how people that work in the field can get so into self and forget the meetings, you know, and not take care of themselves. Um, 
I think my main thing for wanting to get out of that field of time, even though I was the clinical administrator, I was a liaison between the county, the courts, probation, all that, um, sheriff's department, everything, um, was my sponsor used to me all the time, when you find yourself being stuck and no one else around you is growing and you're not growing, it's time to move on. You know, and I think if I would have stayed a little bit longer, I probably would have went down with my boss. But um, she was asking me to do some unethical stuff, and my license would have been on the line. And it's like, oh, no, mm -mm. I said, this is when I learned to speak up. I said, you know, you sent the long, wrong person to law school. I said, Cause you sent me to all that training in all those schools, and now you want me to do this with my name behind it? I don't think so. And it was, it was an uphill battle because my, uh, my doctor had given me a, um, pulled me from work for 30 days, and I had already given my resignation. And so when I handed in my, my 30-day um, off work, she says, well, you know, we, we don't want your resignation anyway. You just take the 30 days off. Well, in that 30 days, they plotted to get rid of me because I went to the top person, you know, for embezzlement because it was really bad. And uh, they tried everything to get me out of there. You know, and they tried to get me to go back to work early. And it was the first time in my life I ever spoke up for myself. And I actually stayed true to it. And three months after I quit, she went down for embezzlement. It's like, God, and I was right below her, man. She'd have taken me down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in sobriety, I think I've lost just as many people um, clean and sober as I have friends that, that, that aren't in the program. You know, I had a lot of ridicule in my first three and four years of sobriety. There were people that actually passed away. I would not go to their services. And why are you afraid to be around people of death? So now you don't understand. I'm one that if I didn't get along with you and you had nothing nice to say to me, I'm not going to go to your services. You know, I was just one of those type of people, you know, that I just didn't believe in being a hypocrite. You know, even though I did it in other ways. <laughs> but, uh... I always considered myself I was never a thief. You know, I used to think I never stole money. I didn't steal your personal property, but let me tell you, I stole a lot of your time. You know, um, played a lot of manipulation games. Um, um, I used to say the only time I ever lied was to uh, bill collectors. You know, yeah, mm -hmm. the lie not told, right? <laughs> I did a lot of omitting. <laughs> but I did a lot of uh, crazy stuff, even in sobriety, um, things that I look back at, and I wonder how I stayed sober through it um, without using. But um, I, I lived and I learned. I, I can't sit here and tell you that my life has been a bit of roses since I got clean and sober, because it hasn't. You know, my life got better. But um, I've just done things very, very differently. Today, I'm around people that I choose to be around. I'm not around people that I feel like I have to be around. I don't have to have your approval today. I don't have to have everybody like me. Um, all my life, I couldn't be by myself. And today, I can actually sit at my house. I can sit there for days by myself and just, I'm okay. You know, I'm not a matter of I'm depressed or, or whatever. It's... Uh, Real crazy that way. And see, when I first got clean and sober, this is a part I didn't share. Through my, my growing up, I also had an anxiety and depression disorder. Okay, back in the day, they don't, they don't diagnose that stuff, right? So when I first came to the program, it was like, all you need is AA. You don't need that. Okay, so that, was, that contributed to some of my depression for my first three years. I do know today that I worked with the duly, duly diagnosed. You know, if somebody needs medication, I'm playing God with them. You know, if they need medication for their bipolar or depression or whatever, you go for it, you know. 
Um, I had to learn to work with, with different tools so that I c didn't go under with anything. But um, everybody has their own philosophy, and a lot of people don't like sharing that, but that was one of my big um, positions in my job, too, is I worked with the dually diagnosed. And um, let me tell you, it, if I ever thought I had to learn something, I had to learn it then. You know, I, I had the knowledge of what people shared with me, but actually practicing what you preach, it's like, oh, my God, how can I tell these guys to do this if I can't do that? You know, and today I have an anxiety disorder, and I take medication for it. Someone told me before I blew my sobriety. I didn't. You know, I'm not taking hardcore drugs, and I check my motive for everything that I do today. Um, I do have um, a bad knee and a bad back, and I have a lot of um, abdominal problems. And I tell you what, I know that God has not brought me this far to dump me, and if I'm hurting that bad and I have a prescription, and I need to take a pain pill, I'm going to take it. I might not take another one for two or three weeks, but I, I battled that for many, many years, you know, with the guilt and the shame behind it. God, he told me I was going to blow my sobriety, you know. And the other thing is, when I got clean and sober, there was only one NA meeting um, in the area where I lived, and I lived in Riverside, San Bernardino County. And my sponsor made me go to NA, too. And all I ever heard was the other group. It's like, oh, my God, they're talking about us alcoholics again, you know. And at the end of the meeting, half the parking lot was over there with people who could get high. And the other one said, hey, let's go have a drink. What do you think I was? It's like, oh, my God, i got to call my sponsor. <laughs> because they didn't believe that, that it was all a drug, you know. And it's like, oh, my God. And a lot of people are like that. Uh, I have a sister who is um, 18 years clean. But she drinks on occasion. She's not a drunk. She just got into some of the drugs. But if that's what she wants to call her sobriety, that's her choice. I don't have a right to sit in judgment of that. You know, even my family today has a real hard time acknowledging that with her. And, but they make a big deal out of it with me. And she had to be like me all her life. She even had to pick the same sobriety date. Like, oh, my God. oh, yeah, she had to be just like me. You know, and, and I watch her agonize over that, and, and today I don't have to sit in judgment of people like that. You know, there are people that I believe can drink and others can't. You know, I just happen to be one that I can't. There's no way that I could ever pick up a drink. There's no way I could pick up a drug. But, um, that should be enough time, huh? <laughs> So, you know, I just, I just know that if you stick around and you work for it, then, uh, I didn't get to 31 years by accident, I'll tell you what. I don't go to meetings like most people think I should go to meetings, but I'll be honest with you, I've done my share, and I still stay in contact with people daily in the program, and the greatest thing that ever happened to me when I moved to Tonopah, because they don't have no grocery stores or anything else, is when I found out that there was an AA meeting. You know, I was like, oh, my God, right where I live. I don't have to drive to Buckeye. I don't have to drive to Phoenix. You know, so I want to thank you for letting me share. Thank you.